0: You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Now let's turn to scripture. Jill's going to join us up front here. We're going to be in John chapter 4 today. And Jill, thanks for reading the word for us.
1: After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out, that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So, he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming to Judea, to Galilee.
0: Well, one of the most difficult questions, I think, on the face of the planet is any question that begins with these words. On a scale of 1 to 10, I don't know why it is that question just throws me into a conundrum, just a tailspin. How do I know I picked the right number when they asked that? In fact, I was at the ER once when I dislocated my finger. Halfway up, my pinky finger was out at a right angle. My wife graciously drives me to the ER, and they asked that question. On a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your pain? Well, My body was just kind of masking all the pain in my finger with pure shock, you know, with this thing off to the side. And so I really couldn't feel much. I said, I don't know, maybe a three. Let me tell you something. If you're at the ER, three is the wrong answer. (laughs) If you say three, you probably should just go to Walgreens for an ice pack or something. This was in Los Angeles, where the ER is no joke, and we must have waited four hours because everybody else came in front of me with my lowly little three in line. So I realize the limitations of this kind of question, but nevertheless, I'm going to ask you this morning, on a scale of one to ten, one being low, ten being high, how would you rate the measure of your faith? It's a little different than the doctor's office. But I'd like you to pick a number just to keep to yourself. This is not a table question. But pick a number between 1 and 10 that you feel describes the level or the strength of your faith. And as you think about what that number might be, it'll maybe help to think back to a time in your life when your faith was at a low point. And what was that situation? Can you think back to that? And what was that number? between 1 and 10. And I ask this to help us think just a little bit more deeply about what it means to believe and to remind us that believing is dynamic. Faith has ups and it has downs. It is not a have it or don't have it kind of proposition. I mean, in a sense it is. You can either believe in Jesus or not believe in Jesus. That's very true. But between those two bookends... There is a lot of room for faith to increase or to decrease, to become stronger or weaker in different seasons of life and in different situations. At last week's baptism class, we got to know each other as families and share a little bit about, here's what my faith journey has looked like. And here's when I was kind of walking away from God or maybe even didn't believe at all. And here's what happened in my life to now bring me To this day and to this point. And they were really inspiring testimonies to hear. Today's passage is about the measure of your faith. What does it even mean to believe? What does it mean to believe Jesus, not just attend church or to call yourself a Christian? What does it mean to believe and what does it mean for the strength of your faith? And as we pick up this text today, we're late in John chapter 4. And we should remember what comes just before this passage in the same chapter. So when you think John 4, the story you probably think of is the woman at the well. The Samaritan woman, the dominant story of the chapter. But the chapter then ends with this story that Jill just read for us. No less important than the first. And this story in Galilee highlights a contrast to what happened in Samaria in that previous story. Something we'll pick up in a few verses. But here we go together, the second of seven miracle stories that John records in a series called That You May Believe, The Seven Signs of John. And so we read in John four forty-six. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now you can see on the map A little fuzzy down there at the bottom, but you can see there's three yellow circles that I put on there. The bottom one is Samaria, and that is the region where Jesus had just been. That's where he had met the woman at the well, and he'd visited the town of Sychar. Now he's returned north to Galilee, his home territory, Jewish territory. And he's back in the town of Cana, and that's where he'd done his first miracle. We were here last week reading about Jesus turning water into wine. And as Jesus returns north to the town of Cana, we're introduced in the text to a man from Capernaum, and it says that the man is a royal official. In Greek, he's called a basilicus, and we get our word basilica from that word. But the original actually had nothing to do with the fancy church building. It has to do with royalty. The basilicus served the basileus, and that was the king. And so in this case, we think this man was probably serving in the court of Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. And so he's a government official. He's a noble. He's a statesman. And that's really about all we know about him. You'd gather from his title then that he's a high flyer. He's a big deal, a man of influence. And he just so happens to have a very sick little boy at home. Some of you know or can well remember back to years where you watched over a child who was sick, maybe staying up all night long. Verse 52 in the story here says that this boy had a fever. So he's burning up. It keeps climbing, a fever that's out of control. And many of us have watched over a child with a raging fever. You know, you don't even need the thermometer. It's just As soon as you touch their forehead, you know. And you're trying to figure out what to do and what medicine to give and what dosage and and if the fever's going to break or if you should get to urgent care. This man's son was very sick. And the desperate nature of their situation becomes evident in the next verse, verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So the man has exhausted every option in Capernaum. This official, with all of his connections, with all of his financial means, he tried everything that he could possibly try. He called in every expert. They tried every treatment. Everything his position could afford and that money could buy. But the boy was getting worse and worse day by day. He was slipping away. And finally, there is one last-ditch option that somehow comes onto his radar. He knows that there is a Galilean peasant who is rumored to have miraculous powers and was said to be in Cana. Now, Capernaum to Cana was about 20 miles apart, which might not sound like a whole lot in a car, but how many of us have walked 20 miles to get anywhere? And that's what this royal official has to do. He personally sets out 20 miles on foot to go get Jesus for help. And I think if we pause the story here, we should observe that this is an important step of faith. The first step of faith that we see in the story. And one that's instructive for us. Where this man realizes that he needs to find Jesus and ask for help that is beyond himself. This official, this successful man comes to the end of himself, comes to the end of his own resources, the end of any other hope, and there's only one thing left to do. He has got to run to go get Jesus and ask for help. Martin Luther said, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. Some of you, by earthly measure, do not have much. By the world's standards, you don't have much, but you have faith. And therefore, you have everything. This official was at the opposite end of the spectrum, wasn't he? And maybe there's some of us here today who are in similar position. He was lacking nothing. He had friends, wealth, comfort, success, career, popularity, you fill in the blank. But in time of need, he realized it was nothing. And so he set out on a journey, and that was a journey of faith. Now in verse 48, when the man arrives in Cana and finds Jesus, he's met by what may seem to be a curious, puzzling kind of reply, don't you think? Verse 48, almost cool or standoffish. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Kind of an enigmatic response, don't you think? But think about the story carefully. What has driven this man to find Jesus? Why did he come? It's pretty simple. He needs a miracle, right? This is a last-ditch effort, a Hail Mary. It was not some inner soul searching in Capernaum that moved him that way. It was not some aha moment where he realized Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. It was not some conviction of faith, but this man showed up because he just needs a miracle. If his son was still healthy in Capernaum, he would be in Capernaum. He'd be doing what he always did, whatever that was, sipping iced tea and taking care of business. And Jesus calls that to attention in this response in verse 48. But notice something else, which I think the translation we use, the NIV, it picks up very well. And that is, Jesus is responding, yes, to the official. It says in the middle, Jesus told him. But everything else around it, the sentence that Jesus says is in the plural. Do you see that? Unless you people, plural pronoun, See, signs and wonders, you, it's a Greek plural pronoun, will never believe. So Jesus is not just addressing the official, but all the others who are there watching this exchange take place. In fact, he's really addressing all of his countrymen in Galilee. Think about where Jesus had just been. He had been in Samaria, down south. Samaria, of all places. He'd actually been in this place, this region, where the Jews despised these next door neighbors. Anybody else would have avoided it. In fact, they wouldn't step foot into Samaria if they were going down to Jerusalem, let's say. They would go around Jerusalem, substantially extending their trip just not to be in Samaria. And that's where Jesus had been. And what was the response there? If you think back to the earlier verses in chapter 4 in the Samaritan woman at the well, it says in 441, and because of his words, many more in the town of Sychar became believers. And they said to the woman, they said to the Samaritan woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So do you see the contrast now that's playing out? In Samaria, they believed because of his words. In Galilee, what do the crowds show up for? Signs and wonders. And signs and wonders is an allusion to Exodus and the time of Moses. That phrase, that is what a Jewish person is now thinking of. Oh, when were the Israelites happy in the Exodus? When there were signs and wonders. And when were they unhappy? When did they start grumbling against Moses and Aaron? When the signs and wonders stop? John 1.11 says, "Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him." And that now in John four is what we're seeing play out. And Jesus rebuke this kind of puzzling line in, in four forty eight is not meant to put the man in his place and to drive him away and send him back home. But it's a teaching moment for him and for all Israel that their faith would be about more than wanting miracles, that they wouldn't miss the Messiah. Now to the official's credit, he receives this response from Jesus and he stays by his request. Look at 49 and following. The royal official said, Sir, come down. Capernaum was downhill. That's why he says that. Come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. I think it's a stunning exchange. A royal official has come to beg the assistance of a carpenter peasant. He's walked 20 miles to see him. And of course, he's come to do what? He's come to get Jesus to retrieve this man who can heal people. And he's going to take him to his son. You know, like you and I would call an ambulance and you expect it to show up. Time is of the essence. But what does Jesus do? Does he hurry off down the road because time is of the essence and he's got to get there? Does he quick pack his bag? Or even at a minimum, does he send some kind of potion or amulet or something, maybe a, a strip of his clothing that the man can take back to his son? No, he just gives him a word. He says, go, your son will live. That's it. Or just imagine this official. Having hiked 20 miles, maybe trying to run as much of it as he possibly could, he's scared, he's desperate, and when he finally gets to Jesus, what does he get? He gets a gentle rebuke, and then the line, go, your son will live. There's no fanfare, no magic words. He's not even going to get up and go see the patient. It is a long-distance healing but we're reminded in this story there is no distance that the word and power of Jesus cannot bridge. And then look at the man's response before we move on. He took Jesus at his word and departed. Whatever level of faith the man came with, and apparently it wasn't much, he leaves with decidedly more. He took Jesus at his word And he believed. And you read that, and it almost sounds Samaritan, doesn't it? I mean, this is what happened in Samaria. And we're reminded, how does belief and faith and trust present itself? How do you know it's actually there beyond lip service? Well, it shows itself by its action. And the man hears the word of Jesus, this simple sentence, and he does what Jesus says. He believes and he gets up And he goes. Verse 51 and following. While he was still on the way, and I imagine now, if he's hurrying those 20 miles to Cana, there is a steadier pace now to his return. He has heard the word of Jesus and believed. And yet his servants are running the other way and they meet him maybe at the halfway point with this news that his boy is living. Verse 52. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And imagine this reunion, the scene on the road to Capernaum. They're out of breath. They're overjoyed to tell their boss the news. His boy is alive. The fever is gone. And this astute official has the wherewithal to inquire of the time. And it correlates exactly to when Jesus spoke the word. Verse 53. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. I highlighted that last line. I love it, it's one of my favorite in this story. This man is on a faith journey. And what you read there is his next step. He and his whole household believed. So imagine with me, what does he do when he gets home? The first thing is he rushes in to see his son. Maybe his son by then is playing out in the yard again. But he hugs his son and he holds on to him a while. Maybe with tears of joy. And then he evangelized his family, this man. What does that mean? It means he told them about Jesus and they believed. And I want to close with two questions for you this morning. One is corporate And the second is going to be personal. First of all, as a preface to the first question, when you get into the book of Acts, you start to see this John 4 kind of pattern happening where whole households are coming to faith. Households that believe in the book of Acts, we think of Cornelius the centurion. He and his whole household believed and were baptized. Then we go to Philippi and we meet Lydia there along the water, the river, where she leads a church. She's a businesswoman. And she and her whole household believed and are baptized. Later in that chapter, we've got the Philippian jailer. In Acts 18, we meet Crispus, the leader of the synagogue. All of these are households that came to believe in Christ and to publicly declare their faith. And so my first question for you is what about your household? What about your family? To the degree that you have any responsibility for others in your household, whether that's children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews, great-grandchildren, some of you, are you a household that has put your trust in Christ? Just like Joshua declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the corporate question, but here's the more personal one now. What is your next step of faith? What is the next move on your faith journey? Because we've watched this man, haven't we, in John 4? He went to find Jesus, that's where it started. He went to beg for help. And when Jesus responded, what did he do? He received it. He believed and obeyed. And that, I think, has to be the main idea of this whole passage. If I had to put it in one sentence, it would be this. Take Jesus at his word and believe. I don't know what this next step of faith looks like for you. I don't know what question you're trying to answer right now. But in a sense, this is the answer. To take Jesus at his word and believe. Let's pray that over one another now, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Lord, as a household of faith here, having celebrated baptism this morning, with the Yovatiches and the Showstrands, Lord, we desire to count our own household among that number. And I pray, Lord, that whatever our home looks like, whatever our extended family looks like, whatever measure of responsibility you have given to us, we desire to be households of faith that take next steps and bold steps in this journey of following you. And I pray, Lord, that whatever measure now is pressing in on some of us, will we take you at your word? Will we step out in faith? Will we believe that you would solidify that for us here this morning? We pray, Lord, that you would make your way and your will clear. And that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would have the boldness to believe and obey. Lord, we love you and we sing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out
1: online at theychurch.org.